of Mark, it really sets the tone for the rest of the gospel. So what Jesus is saying here really uh, is almost foundational to what he'll be doing through the rest of the gospel and how, how we can determine what Jesus is saying in verses how the crowds are responding. And we can see this pattern as we, as we go through. Uh, last week when I closed, I, I asked you to consider a question if you were here. Uh, what kind of soil are you? And I, and I hope you did that. And as we kind of work through the different types of soil today, uh, that you would, um, you would see yourself in that and that God would not only uh, uh, encourage you from where you're at, but would give you very practical steps to, to move on from where you or I, I might be. Um, I, I also want to uh, say at, right at the beginning here that as I go through, and if you, you ask yourself, what kind of soil am I, you might feel a little bit convicted, that type of stuff. But I want you to know at the end, the way this parable closes is not on an air of conviction. It's really, a, it closes with an air of hope and encouragement, and you'll see that as we get to the end. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer as we uh, consider this parable. Father, once again, we are here in your presence to, to hear from you. Father, we believe that your word is alive, that it speaks to our innermost being, it, it can transform us, that it has the power to, to change lives because it, it, it proceeds from your very being, from your mouth. And so, God, we want to hear your word today and have it take its effect, that we would um, consider this parable that, that many of us here have, have heard over and over and over again. And uh, the danger with that, God, as many of us know, it becomes just something we just know. It becomes one of the parables of Jesus, and uh, it kind of the impact it can have upon our life can become deadened. So, Father, we pray you would bring this word alive to us once again, that we'd, we'd see it anew and that we would be changed by it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So once again, I want to point your attention to, to verse 3 where Jesus says this, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And so Jesus begins uh, with this parable by asking them to pay attention. Remember from last week, it's a very strong word, meaning pay attention with the intention to obey. Don't just listen to it and go, oh, that's a nice story, but there's something in this parable that should cause us to consider something greater than what's actually going on in the parable. And so the secret of the kingdom that, that Jesus begins to reveal here is that God's present plan for growing the kingdom of God is seed sowing. It's this, um, there's many ways to plant a garden. Um, when, when I was a kid, um, and if you're Portuguese, you know this, if you work in the strawberry fields, you have a strawberry plant. And then on this plant, th these uh, branches come out, and there's little plants in the end called runners. And you'd go around, you'd take the main plant, and you'd plant all the runners around it. Very meticulous. You'd go down the road, and as a 12-year-old boy, I'm in the sun planting runners. And, uh, and it's, it's, very, it's a row. Uh, and it's meant to just propagate that one plant very specifically, very targeted. What this is talking about is not that. It's broadcast sowing. You're just taking the seed and you're just flinging it everywhere. This is done for like cover crops because you want uh, just that seed to permeate every space of open ground. It's done when they plant lawns, right? You spread out the, the, the seed everywhere, not looking to plant it in rows specifically. Um, so this type of seed casting is for um, 
growing as much crop as possible in the land that's available. And with that, not only does the crop grow, but also weeds can grow and thorns and other things as well. And so when the farmer is sowing seed in this way, the farmer knows very well that some parts of his land are better than the others. And he's hoping if he can spread enough seed that it will take root everywhere, if at all possible. So he's giving every seed an equal chance of growth, right? That's why you broadcast. Um, you're giving them an equal chance of growth. It was probably, in this parable, the only land that he had, like much of Israel has land that is very fertile and also very rocky and then very barren. And so he's trying to make the most of the, 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 uh, the land that he has in this parable. And only the results of the harvest would show what was good soil. You need to, we need to understand that. We don't necessarily know what the soil is at the time of the planting. We don't know how good the soil is until we actually get to the harvest. We see, ah, the plants grew here, but not here. Um, and so the promise of this parable is at the end of all things that the sower has done his job and there will be an amazing crop. That's the promise, that despite whatever type of land there might be out there, at the end of the sowing, there will be an amazing crop to be harvested. And so Jesus is basically saying in a general sense that the kingdom of God will, will flourish like these seeds planted on, on this different types of ground, and it will come, and it will, will produce fruit <clears throat> in an unexpected sort of manner. It will come, and we won't even know it. Suddenly, the harvest will, will be there. And Jesus talked about <clears throat> excuse me, other parables where the people are shocked because they look, and suddenly the, the fields are white to harvest. And what happened there? How come there's nobody harvesting? Because we didn't expect the fields to be ready this soon. And so now we've got to send more workers into the field. And that's kind of the same idea here, that the kingdom of God doesn't look like it's growing very fast. But eventually, the word will take root, and there will be a great harvest. And so the parable begins with a challenge for Jesus' hearers to pay careful attention because what Jesus is telling us here are the secrets to the kingdom. And uh, if you're like me and you go, God, why aren't you doing a whole lot of stuff right now? You know, This parable is for us because God is doing stuff. It's just we're, we're looking across the fields and we're going, there's not a whole lot germinating right now, but the promise is it will, and we'll be shocked when we see the results of God's faithfulness to, to his word. And so the spiritually alert, the spiritually hungry um, will understand the teaching. Those who don't care just won't care. And so Jesus says, listen, hoping that everyone in that crowd would listen. And here's the real point. <clears throat> it's really interesting because as Jesus is speaking... Jesus was actually doing the parable. He was telling the parable and doing it at the same time because Jesus is telling the parable. While he's telling the parable, he's sowing the word, and every person in that crowd are responding in different ways. The parable is actually going on as Jesus is speaking it. They were all part of the parable as Jesus is telling it, and they, were, they just had no idea what was going on. Again, that's really encouraging to me because a lot of times we go, God is doing amazing things in the world, and I, gee, I want to be part of that, and I don't feel like I am, but the reality is, if you're a follower of Christ, 
God is doing amazing things that you might not even be aware of with the little minute choices that we have to be obedient or follow him or take steps of faith. God is doing amazing things behind the surface. We're part of the kingdom of God expanding, though we might not see it, right? It's like, it's like the plant, right? You look at a plant and you go, is that going to grow? And you just stare at it. And you don't see any movement at all, right? And with some plants, you go away, and next day you come back and you go, where did those leaves come from? There's two more leaves in that thing. We just didn't, it just happened, right? Right? You know what I'm talking about? And that's what happens. We, we turn around and God has done amazing things, and we we're a part of it, and we didn't even know it. Because God takes the mundane things of life and bring, can bring great fruit out of it. So the parable here has two main characters. There's only two main things going on that Jesus explains. Uh, The seed, he said, is the word of God. So the seed represents this word of God that goes out, the truth of God, the gospel, whatever, whatever it might be. And the sower is anyone who plants the seed. In this case, it's Jesus at this point in time who is the sower, who is planting the word of God. In our day, Jesus has commissioned us to now sow the seed. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So here are the soils that, 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 they, that he goes through. Remember, the, the parable is, is kind of broken up into the telling of the parable, and then in that middle part, there's a, the Isaiah passage is, tells you why Jesus speaks in parables, and then the second part is Jesus has to explain the parable to his disciples, right? So what I do in the scriptures here are tell you what Jesus says in the parable, and then the explanation. So we're going to look at those scriptures together. So the first soil is the hard soil. Let me read those two scriptures. First, verse 4, it says, As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And then the explanation, verse 15, Jesus explains, Some people are like seed along the path, where the word is sown as soon as they hear it. So the path represents, this, this, the path is hard. It's a dirt path. As you walk back and forth over it, it becomes compact, very, very hard. And certain seeds just don't break through hardened soil. So um, the hard path represents hard-hearted, tough-minded people, people who are skeptics. When the word comes to them, immediately, as soon as they hear it, Satan snatches it away. Uh, They are resistant. They don't want anything to do with the word. They're skeptics. They sit and they listen and they go, that has no bearing whatsoever on my life. I hear it. I've listened, but it doesn't really matter to me. I just just don't care. And people um, sit in churches many, many years and they hear the word, and people go, people go oh, yes, really, that's, that's great. That teaches some moral point. I'll adapt that moral point into my life, right? Or, and, and they just kind of adapt the teachings of Jesus as, as things to do in their lives. But they don't hear the deeper context where doing is not what God wants. God wants us to be to abide in him so we get the power to actually do. Because without the power, it's just... Uh, dirty rags and, and moral striving to be more pure that we can't be upon our own, own righteousness. So these people dismiss the word without giving it careful consideration. That's the key to the hard path. They hear the word and they dismiss it because they don't take the time to consider 
what it's really saying, what it's really calling them to do and to be. So the gospel is not even an option for them, and they cannot or will not see the truth. I think it's both. Some people just don't see the truth. They just, their hearts are darkened. God hasn't brought something light to the light so they can make a decision for the gospel. I think some people hear it and they hear the truth like the rich young ruler, but they choose not to consider it. So I think it's both. Um, so for whatever reason, they're hardened to the gospel. This was Pilate. Jesus teaches, tells him the truth, and Pilate's response is, what is truth? I don't care. It doesn't matter to me what you, if you're king or not. It doesn't really affect my world. And so the, the hard soil is people who hear, but their hearts are so hard they don't really listen. And so when Jesus says, listen, a sower goes out to, to sow, they're not really listening. They're hearing, but they're not listening with their hearts to really consider what Jesus is saying and what the gospel is really all about. The next soil is the, this rocky or shallow soil. Jesus says this in, in verse 5. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. Shallow soil, the heat, things sprout quicker. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. And then Jesus explains, Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Initially, the soil is welcoming. It's, it's rocky. It's, it has soil. It's like rock, but there's soil in between. And, and it, but it's shallow. And so there's potential in this soil, but because the, the soil is not uh, substantive, it's not enough to maintain long-term growth, uh, the people that hear the word here, they first receive it with joy and they, they germinate, they sprout, but eventually that sprout dies. They endure for a while, and sometimes they even show signs of Christian maturity. They seem to be growing they look like Christians, just as plants sprout quickly. It grows well at first, and it looks promising. And they're in our churches sometimes, and they're serving with passion in various ministries, but they don't last long. When persecution comes, or when tough times come, or when they're offended, or whatever it might be, they drift away. And we, as a pastor over 30 years of ministry, I, I see it all the time. People come in, and they seemingly accept Jesus, and they jump right into ministry, and they're telling people about Jesus, and they're serving in the church, and then something happens, and then they drift. And pretty soon, years later, I talk to them, and I ask them, hey, how's your faith? It's just not there. It's gone because the root was shallow. And it didn't dig in deep and hang on to Jesus. So this type of person has a shallow faith with no deep, deep root. Tribulation, tough times, persecution. Uh, the sun that Jesus talks about burns and they scorch them. And they don't hang on to the word. And when, not if, when persecution or oppression comes, these people immediately fall away. They drift away. And so... Uh, 
this is hard um, to see um, because uh, if, if you've been in ministry any length of time and if you have been a Christian any length of time, you probably know people who were saved with you, right, that are no longer following. They just have just drifted away. And you think, how could that person drift away? Because they had no root. They made the commitment to Jesus. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But the commitment wasn't really a commitment at all. There was no root. And Jesus goes on kind of building up the thorny soil. Uh, Other seed fell among, uh, among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant, so they did not bear grain. Still others, Jesus explains, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So this group of people uh, receives the word better than the first two groups of people. However, they eventually get distracted. They worry. Their faith withers because they're supposed to be trusting God, but they begin to worry and take that burden back upon themselves. Wealth drives them away. Maybe the gospel has caused them to, God called them to give up something for the sake of the gospel, like we talked about last night. And, And they go, I just can't do that. I like my things. And so wealth distracts them, and, and there's cravings for things, and, and, uh, and just the worries of the world, just life comes upon people, and life gets in the way, and they fade off, even though they might have been with us for years. And we know people like that. Uh, there was a person in the first the church I was saved in. He was a Christian. He was so faithful. For like 30 years, he was like a greeter. He did faithfully. And then one Sunday, I come to church, and, and I said, hey, ask the pastor, where's so-and-so? And he says, come into my office. And called me to the office, and so-and-so has been having an affair for about five to six years and has now decided he, in a week, doesn't want to follow Jesus anymore. After 30 years. This is the thorny soil, right? Been with us for years, but in reality, uh, it was always, for 30 years, a partial commitment. Listen, a partial commitment is no commitment at all. In Christianity, Jesus doesn't ask for part of us. Jesus has asked for all of us. And so this present life becomes more important than the life to come or the abundant life that Jesus promises right now. And stuff becomes more important than the Savior. And comfort becomes more important than sacrificing for the one who died for me. And then they drift away. This is what Jesus says in John 8, 31. Very sober comment. Jesus says, and this he, he describes who are really his disciples. He uses the word continue. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you continue, if you remain in my teaching, you are really my disciples. How do you know if you're really a disciple of Christ? In the present right now, you remain. You abide. You dwell. You see, we don't know 
what kind of soil we really are. Even though I gave you that assignment, the reason I gave you that assignment is so you would struggle with it, so you would examine yourself. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But in reality, we don't know, right? We, we don't know what kind of grain or crop we will produce until we see him face to face. And he goes, well done, good and faithful servant. Or, man, what did you do with all the resources I gave you? I gave you all this, and you did this? And that's going to be the case for some of us, right? So hopefully we're all here going to get, well done. Uh, you've been faithful in a little bit. Much more responsibility for you in, in life. And so Jesus closes with the fourth soil and begins to encourage his disciples the fertile and productive soil. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew, and produced a crop. Some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. And then in explanation, Jesus says, others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop. You see the three things? Hear the word, which really means listen to it, and they've grasped onto it, and now they've grasped, they've accepted that word as true, and because that's transformative, it automatically begins to produce a crop. What kind of crop? 30, 60, some 100 times what was sown. Um, the final soil is noticeably different than the first three. It represents those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Tribulation and persecution come, doesn't deter them. Worries, wealth, personal desires, sinful cravings, doesn't distract them long-term, right? We all struggle, but this is long-term. The hearing is active, not passive. We talked about this last night at Lyft. We pursue growth, not just hope it happens. Uh, they aggressively pursue the word. They allow it to take root despite the pressures of life. The aim is to, I am going to follow Jesus. Nothing will deter me from that path. I don't care what life throws at me. I don't care what pressures come on. I'm going to follow Jesus. I don't care who persecutes me. I'm going to follow Jesus. I don't care what might distract me in life. I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what happens. That's the good soil. That's the productive soil. And note the promise that comes with it. When you were receptive to God's word, it will produce fruit. It's not might produce fruit. If we are the good soil, will we hear the word, accept it, then it will bear fruit. Failure to produce fruit proves that the soil it was sown in was not productive soil. It was one of the other three. John, again, 15, 5, says this. Jesus is speaking. The one who remains in me and I in him produces fruit. That's it's kind of scary, but that's actually a promise, right? If we remain, if we continue in faith following him, God's promise is you will produce fruit. You will have an impact in the world. Now, again, we might not see it until harvest, right? But you will produce fruit. If we're not producing anything, it shows that we are really not connected to the power of God through faith. A fruitless Christian is an oxymoron. 
If you are a Christian, you produce fruit. That's what we do. Not fruit from our own righteousness, but fruit from the righteousness that is in Christ that flows through us to produce good things. And so what we're told here uh, is something amazing, which I think. In Israel, um, when you do broadcast uh, planting, the return, if you got a tenfold return, that was stellar. That was the best you could hope for in Israel. You, you, you cast out seed and you hope that you get a 10% return on what you put out there. That's kind of the standard, still even in Israel today, a little bit better because of some of the, really the terraforming they've done in the country. But it's, it's difficult to grow uh, plants in that region of the world. But that's what's so startling about what Jesus says here. He says, he, he's telling them, if, if you sow seed, if the kingdom word is planted, then what you're going to get is a return that could even be up to a hundredfold. Jesus is promising his disciples that if they sow the word, they're going to get an amazing return. 30, 60, maybe even 100-fold. So the emphasis on this illustration isn't really negative, that, oh, you people are bad and you're bad soil. What he's saying is, if you follow me, if you follow me, if you give your life to me, your fruit your, your crop that you will, you will give to the world and, and by virtue of giving it to the world, uh, honoring me is going to be the most amazing thing ever. You're going to produce more as a human being following Jesus than any good you can do on your own. The good you do on your own, you might get tenfold return, but it's, and ultimately it's really not going to matter for eternity because it's return that's empowered by your spirit, not the spirit of God. But if you follow me, 30, 60 a hundredfold, God will produce fruit in you if you abide in him. And so Jesus closes the parable with an admonition, again, to, to pay attention. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen. It, it, it seems to me what he's doing there is simply, once again, challenging his hearers to go beyond just hearing. Uh, uh, C.F.D. Moole, who's a theologian, uh, paraphrased it as this. He's a big brain theologian. This is how he paraphrases that. Now think that one out for yourself if you can. That's what Jesus is saying there. I just told you the parable. Consider it. Think it out for yourself if you can, if you're willing to do it. The, the secrets of the kingdom are there. What are you going to do with the word of God that is sown into your life? So here's the application today. In a sense, this parable is really the, the foundation for all the other parables because in all those other parables that we will now go through, Jesus is sowing the word. He's telling us a parable. He's telling them a parable. What are we going to do with the word? How are we going to receive what Jesus says to us? Here's the key. The fruitfulness of the gospel depends on the hearer's receptivity. This is encouraging to me, again, the, recept, the effectiveness of me preaching the gospel is not based on how well I explain it, right? It's not based on necessarily how I got my stuff together in life, right? It's not based on how much theology I know or how good I am at apologetics, 
really how people receive the gospel and the word is based on them. How, the, how ready are they to receive it? It's not in your, on your outline, but there's a scripture, I think it's 1 Chronicles 16. Um, basically, that, that, uh, it's a, a praise to, I think, after the temple is uh, built. that basically says that, that God's word goes out uh, to people who are ready to hear. Jesus told a parable about don't cast pearls to swine. Some people just aren't ready to hear. Don't waste your time with the people who aren't ready to hear when all these people over here are ready for harvest, right? And so it's about strategy. And so when we, it's encouraging because we can just share, the, we just toss the seed. And that's our responsibility, the end. They're responsible. I'm responsible on how I receive the word. You're responsible on how you receive the word. Eventually, we see this receptivity played out throughout the rest of Mark's gospel as some people hear and follow, some people hear and try to you know, compromise. How about if I do this first, if I bury my father kind of in the middle, and then how Jesus says, no, 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 I'll pick a side, right? Or how some people just outright reject Jesus. And then we see how the crowds go from just hanging out with Jesus and going, yay, right? I like the, I like the miracles. I like the good stuff that Jesus brings. And at the end, what are the crowds yelling? Crucify him, right? And we just see this played out based on how people receive the word of God. So here's, here's the two uh, applications for us uh, as, as followers of Christ. The message of this parable is clear. If you're a Christian, this is how I think we should apply it. The first one, we must examine ourselves, first of all, to see if we're really in the faith. This is what uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? How do you know? What, what's the test? the test to see if you're in the faith. Uh, um, I hear this all the time. Many years ago, I made a decision for Jesus. You know, the pastor said, do you want to follow Jesus? And I got up and I came to the altar and I made a commitment to Jesus. What I'm going to tell you is really shocking. And if you disagree with me, don't yell at me, talk to me out back. The decision you or I made whenever in the past doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Here's why. And I challenge you. The Bible never verifies anyone's salvation on the basis of something that happened in the past. It's always on the basis of what's happening right now. Right, right now. I know, I know for me, when I accepted Jesus as my Savior, it was transformative. I, I, something happened, right? I know that. But right now, where do I stand with Jesus? Am I in danger of being rocky soil? Am I in danger of drifting away because hardship comes to my life or tragedy or whatever I might let other influences in my life? That's the question we need to ask. Some people have made a commitment to Jesus in the past that was not a commitment at all. Because a partial commitment 
is no commitment at all. Coming forward and saying, I believe in Jesus when there's no inner transformation is simply magic, right? We're accepting, a, saying a prayer something has some magical power to transform us. Your prayer of faith, we call it prayer of faith, doesn't transform you. The Holy Spirit does, right? right? It's not some incantation we make. It's, it's, it's when we open our hearts, really open our hearts, and Jesus comes in and transforms us. Now, the prayer might mean that, right? But sometimes it's just, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just, I feel guilty. I need to do something about this guilt. And so I pray this prayer, hoping the prayer magically releases me from the guilt. And now I think I'm a Christian, but time goes on and there's no fruit, and I drift away. I know that's, that's very sober to think, um, but it happens all the time. It happens with pastors. And there's pastors, and just in recent history, who have preached for years the gospel, bringing people to faith, and then go, you know what? I don't believe that anymore. What happened? Is your commitment to Jesus just based on what you did in the past, or is it something you believe now? See, if you don't have evidence, proof of your faith in the now, it's a very real possibility that you're not even a follower of Christ because you're relying on something you said, not something that happened because the Holy Spirit transformed you from the inside out. How do you know you're a Christian right now? You can say, I believe, I trust, and I am determined to continue in, in that, that faith. You've been baptized, maybe. Maybe you go to church regularly. Maybe you think you're a Christian. Remember, Jesus' problems with the Pharisees were that they had an outward standard of what it means to believe. And Jesus said, you look really good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. You, you do all the right things, you say all the right things, but there's nothing's happened on the inside. There's been no transformation. So if by faith you have been given the righteousness of Christ, it will show. There should be a crop. For some of us, it just might be one bean. That's okay, right? It's just all we're looking for is a crop. Has God moved you at all? For others, it might be something greater, right? That's up to God what kind of crop he wants to produce in you. That's up to him. And again, most of the crop we don't even see till the, the last day. So in, in your outlines, we're not going to do it here, but there is a, um, a little self-evaluation tool there. Take that home. These are some of the things that, you know, you should um, kind of sign on to, Right? Again, it's in, in ever-increasing amounts. Do you believe these things, right? Um, things like, um, I want to be with other believers. Sometimes you go, no, they're jerks. I don't want to be with them. But you should, as you grow in faith, go, I'm learning to love jerks, right? And want to be with the jerks, right? And, so, and all these things, there's this progression, right, uh, that we should be... Uh, experience. We, we, our, our first prayer should be stumbling over our words, but later on we should be praying in confidence and specifically in seeing God answer those prayers, right? And so just, just take this and true or false, where do you stand? Assess yourself, examine where you are in the faith. If you've really been redeemed, it should be up on the screen, 
the characteristic of your life at a minimum will be an ever-increasing righteousness and the fruit of the Spirit. You should be becoming more and more gentle and kind and patient and loving as you grow in Christ. If you're getting more hard and tough and short with people, then you need to kind of go back to that sheet and go, where am I loving people the way I should? Am I following the line? Or am I drifting in my love? Am I drifting in my generosity? Am I drifting in my kindness? Am I drifting in my gentleness? Whatever it might be, where, where are you? Um, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be judgy here because I'm not saying come to me, let me judge you. The scripture says examine yourself. See if you're in the faith. So it's not to look around and go, oh yeah, that guy's slipping. I can see it all. That's not what we're saying here. Go home, examine yourself, not anybody else. Examine yourself. And then the, the, just real quick, the final thing is, the second point of application, we must sow the seed of the gospel so that others might hear and respond. Our job now, now that Jesus has gone into heaven, is to sow the seed. And, and, and we're not responsible for how they respond, but we are responsible to help them have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. This is how Paul explains this is 1 Corinthians 3. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. God's going to reward us for the amount of seed that we sow. We are responsible for that. So our assignment is to sow and sow generously. God is responsible for the harvest. Just wherever you are, sow. Drop a word. And you can sow with your mouth and sharing the gospel clearly. You can sow with your life by being kind to people who other people aren't kind to, to being overly generous in how you serve people and how you tip people and how you uh, do your work. Whatever it is, be sowing seed wherever you go. Because the idea with broadcast sowing is to cover as much soil as possible. Some might germinate. Some might not. That's not our responsibility. But our responsibility is to cover the land. We cover the land. And God will bring a harvest. Sometimes 30, sometimes 60-fold, hopefully 100-fold, if we abide in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that for many of us here, God, we took that seed and we ran with it. That, God, you have changed us. You have made us your children, not because we were necessarily good soil, but because, God, you opened our eyes to see the truth. You gave us grace and forgiveness. You, you gave us mercy where we did not deserve. And, God, you have brought us into your family and have given us great promises. And, and Father, we, we, we always think about the promise of heaven, but we neglect the greater promise. I, I think the greatest promise that you've given us, God, is that we will be co-heirs with Christ.
man, that, that's just amazing to think of, God, that, that everything that Jesus owns, you've given to us, all of creation, everything that is that we don't even know about, because you are a creator God. We, we are co-heirs with Christ. That's greater than a room in your mansion, though that is great as well. So God, help us to live our lives as if that is true, because it is. That we would follow you and not go to the right or to the left. That the path that we're on would be straight. And that we would follow you with our whole heart. Not a partial commitment, but from this day forward, a full commitment to you. To follow you in that newness of life that you've promised us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, stand together as we respond.